we just did this. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> you're both so what? So what? So, Justin, Justin, and Patrick. Uh, you're also founder of JMC Consulting, and Patrick, what's your title now? Head of everything. I guess, I <laughs> guess um, on paper, it on my LinkedIn profile, it says I'm the, the GM of, of Justin Michael Consulting. GM of Justin Michael Consulting. Or the head of sales training you could do for this one, uh, Patrick, because that might be more apropos to the future of sales. Your choice. Whatever. It's fine. It doesn't really matter that no, much. I know. I know. Fine. Okay. I'll go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know anymore. I'm just a talking head, you know? I, I... I, it, I haven't had the same job for more than um, eight months in a row in the past uh, seven years. <laughs> we could just start i mean let's just start let's just I'm, I'm just gonna go i'm not gonna bother doing the edit i'm gonna keep this rough and ready i mean normally yeah, just, just hey, welcome everybody. we've already started as you can uh you can hear and uh hear and see and i'm delighted to uh, have an old friend uh Justin uh, on on the line and a new friend uh, Patrick on the on the line. Justin is the founder of his own consulting company, JMC Consulting, and Patrick is either the GM or the head of sales training or whatever we're going to be on all of this. And uh, this isn't scripted, and as any listeners to my podcast kind of know that. So I thought today we just unpack the future of sales. There's a lot of conversation out there happening around what isn't going to happen, what is happening, this is dead, that's dead, if you do this, don't do that, and I'm kind of bored of it. So where do we, let's first, um, Patrick, let's start with you. What's your background? Who are you? What's this all about? Yeah, um, it's an interesting point you bring up, like just tying in, I don't know, what what we just said, what we were just saying uh, to the future of sales, like I think that there is a tie in there. I, I really haven't held the same job for a long time in the past like I don't know, five five to seven years. I, I was a high school math teacher for four years, so I did that job for the same amount of time. Uh, but then I don't know. I I kind of did a bunch of different things, uh, and then I and then I got into sales, and I did a bunch of different sales gigs. Um, but but I think the point that I was trying to get to is like I, I think in in the immediate future, um, <clears throat> you got to take the, some of these uh, job requirements away um, from from the roles. Like it, there's no need to have a four year degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do SDR work. Uh, in most cases, it's, you know, it's like glorified data entry. Uh, there, there's, I mean, there's just so many other things that you could look at to determine whether or not someone's going to be successful. Uh, it just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think that th- that's coming down the pipe. Uh, I didn't really answer your question at all, but um, that's <laughs> so the first you're thing a math, I thought of. You, you, you're a math teacher. I think you were one of the first, I think you were the first math teacher I've met, which is pivoted into in, into sales so i'm um, surprised it doesn't happen more especially with the math people because they can add you know what i mean they, <laughs> they know how much money they make and and how much money they could make you know just and and how much work they're doing like there's there's a you know there, there's a, a a trade-off here i'm doing a lot more work and getting a lot less money um so yeah that's that's <laughs> That's why I moved into sales. I was confused for so long. I thought I was a, a math person, and it turns out I'm a writer. Um, but I was was doing all this all this math work. I tried to get in, into uh, insurance, uh, right. and I did uh, an actuary exam. And so you know, like complicated statistics yeah. for insurance companies. You work out um, when people are gonna die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, the, the actually like the best actual definition that I heard of it. Um, was it, actuaries assess current value to future risk. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, 
I, I thought I was going to do that. I got a job as an analyst at an insurance company. Um, and I was like putting together these proposals and giving them to the brokers. And like the, the brokers are all making $500,000 a year selling group, group health insurance. And I was like sitting in front of the spreadsheet doing a lot of work and making 60 grand a year. And I thought something is wrong here. Like this is something, something has gone wrong. How do I get over there? Uh, and that sort of started my journey. So what, what has your, what has your sales journey been then? What kind of roles have you done? It's all top of funnel. I got a job as an SDR at 30 years old and um, I had already been selling life insurance. So I, I kind of saw what the insurance guys were doing over there. Um, and, and it got me all fired up about it. And I asked them, I started interviewing every one of them. Like I was supposed to meet with them to do training, but I was just interviewing them. How do I get your job? And, <laughs> and they, they told me I should uh, start doing cold calls. They were like, you have to get good on the phone. You have to get good on the phone because they're like, I got hung, hung up on for two years. Like it's the bare minimum. Like you just, you have to get in and get on the phones and, and just get really good at doing that. That's the first step. So that's what I did. I went home and I got Zig Ziglar secrets of closing the deal and put it in my headphones. I think it was, I was on a flight somewhere. I remember listening to that book on the plane. Um, and then, yeah, and then I started selling life insurance. So I was, I was like, uh, doing 200 dials a day from my bedroom. Yeah. Um, and, and then when I, you know, when I, I walked into an SDR job, it's like, you know, you're indoors, you're at the, in this nice, like, lofty uh workspace and there's kombucha kegs and scooters and <laughs> and all that and so i i just slam dunked right away like i walked in and i hit my ramp quota and i think two days and like i just didn't turn around um i never looked back so um yeah i hit the ground running there uh was like pacing the team most months and then i just i ended up like just i just kept taking roles um down that path uh i got offered account executive jobs that i turned down because mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that. It's, it just seemed kind of boring to me. Like, I don't know that even though there was more money there, like it was more in, of a, more interesting of a problem to try to um, just book people on the calendar to buy B2B software. Yeah. I, I mean, what jumped out at me about the industry in general is that there's nowhere to go. You have to deal with a sales rep. You mm -hmm. can't go to the store and buy outreach. Yeah. You can't go to like the Apple store and like buy a license for zoom info. Like you have, mm -hmm. you have to deal with a sales rep. So how does it, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, if I could just stand right there um, in between, you know, the buyer and the seller and just help connect the dots for people and make my money that way. Um, I thought it was something that I'd be able to do. And that's, that's where you are now, right? With, uh, with Justin and JMC consulting, you, you are, you are built, bridging that gap, helping sellers create more effective conversations with buyers, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, once I did that, uh, I don't know, I did I did that job at five different places in four mm -hmm. years. Uh, <laughs> it gave me enough exposure to the point where now I'm, I'm a consultant, uh, <laughs> which is... <laughs> don't knock it, I'm one, one for five years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I got a lot of exposure. Like, I worked for two VPs um, that left Salesforce and they were like running the Salesforce instance at Salesforce. So they showed me how to do sales planning and yeah. territory carving and quota allocation and uh, like just how to keep the the cart on the tracks. Um, so I learned a ton there inside of a year. Uh, and then I started um, selling like heavy duty enterprise, um, like a, a fraud detection API to, you know, like the biggest companies in the world. 
um, you know, uh, you know, fifth largest bank uh, worldwide, um, you know, uh, big four tech companies, like uh, all of them, you know, I, so I, I had a pretty serious account list there and I was able to get a lot of traction. And that's when I met Justin and he was looking at me like, whoa, you're one of the only other dudes on the planet that like no, even knows what I'm looking at. So um, why don't you just come and hang out with me? <laughs> And that segues nicely into um, uh, into Justin then. So Justin, you know, you know, I've known, you and I have known each other for for a while way back when I was a LinkedIn LinkedIn client. Um, so JMC Consulting has has been born. And what 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 is your purpose? What are both of you? What's your purpose in life? What what are you what are you trying to solve? So I feel like I'm in the Italian job or Ocean's Eleven. Like you know, we go to an organization. Marketing has taken over, and they've got. You know, outreach, sales loft. Let me keep going. Groove, Zant, Ring DNA, whatever players, and they're they're doing it. We've got the SDRs, we've got the AEs. We're doing automated emails, and we're doing calls, and then we look at the results, and we're kind of okay. How that SDR do? Oh, we got two meetings last month. Last month. Last month. What? And you're just there's like this crazy level of automated activity, but like no revenue, <laughs> no meetings, <laughs> no opportunities, and it's just sort of like. A Dilbert, if you go in yeah. there, everybody's doing all the right things, like in Spaceballs, you know, like, what's your name? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, it's like everybody's doing the motions and the Aaron Ross SDRAE, but then the factory's broken. There's no cars coming out of the factory and all the, you know, everyone's working. So what we're trying to do is, is actually just, okay, not just cut and paste this model, but as kind of disciples of Aaron Ross, now let's create new efficiencies and let's come mm-hmm. and let's crack the safe. Like, okay. What should the data be and what should yeah. the message be and like can we take what you have and slightly tweak it because you can usually see it it's like they're just you know it's like a bad M- mtv music video that you can tell why it didn't hit the charts it wasn't produced slightly off but like right like if butch vig got a hold of it or so like the nirvana's producer he could be like hey we can make that band good you know it's like it's like distressed real estate we go in and we slightly tweak it and so they send a thousand emails nothing yeah, we get they send a thousand emails, eight meetings or ten meet. Like we've had these amazing experience where, you know, no reply rate. Uh, you know, suddenly you know thirty percent response rates because it's just they're the way they email is you know big long drip marketing email to an yeah. existing customer, not hyper short text message to a new customer. Um, so you know a lot of yeah. it's very granular and tactical and aligning with neuroscience is the key. I, I think it's it's actually interesting. It's a really interesting problem because although it's really difficult, it's like um, you know you have a low success rate. Like if you're if you're booking uh, I don't know three out of ten people that um, that that you target, like mm-hmm. you're one of I mean you're one of uh, I don't know a, a very small handful of people worldwide that can accomplish that uh, reliably, right? Like it's like ninety five percent or more failure rate. But the interesting part is, is that it's a really, uh, it's there's not a lot of ingredients. It's a simple system. It th- there's only like the market you're going to talk to. Um, yeah. What are you going to say to them? Mm-hmm. And then how good is the data that you have to reach out to them? Like that's it. That's all there is. So th- there's not that many dials to turn, right? So when we get in somewhere and they're having a hard time, it's like, okay, well, how's the targeting? How's the data? How's the messaging? And this is, you know, it's pretty formulaic. And then once you kind of do it 20 times, you see like 20 different companies and how they're all approaching. It's like, I'm, I'm, it's rare that I'm surprised anymore. And is that, so in terms of that, what we're talking about, so this is kind of primarily email outreach that we're, we're talking about, or is this cold calling? Is this, what kind of outreach is this that we're, we're referring to? 
no one yeah. really cold calls. The, the truth is the reason these companies like Outreach and, mm -hmm. and, and Sales Lofts and Groove, Ring DNA, plug, 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 the reason they're so popular is the truth is like, we love to talk about cold calling. I love to get people to cold call, but the truth is like people just don't really do it. Now I'm one of these crazy people who's done 20,000 hours from a different era. I'm 41 years old. I'm an expert in cold calling. If you want to do that, there's a lot of voicemail leaving. Now, if you really want to do cold calling, you got to get connect and sell mm -hmm. one of these power dialers because you have to be able to get complete right. rates. Cause in the enterprise, you call hundred people, you get three on the phone. You're dealing with GDPR in Europe. Yep. You kind of do permission castle Canada. It's, it's hard. So like I just had a rep yesterday. He's crushing it with automated uh, touch patterns and sending mm -hmm. this digital outbound. So he's primarily doing LinkedIn social and he's doing digital methods. But in, in the US, we have shops that are heavy phone. Yep. They've got bad phone numbers. They've got switchboards where there's like answering services in the pandemic. So we get them cell phone data. We teach them how to use strategic messages and we teach them ways to tie social media to messaging. Okay, they looked at your profile three times, give yep. them a call. Mm -hmm. You know, they've opened your sequence four times. Another one, 27 opens of the email. I think at this point we want to give a call. Is that okay? Yeah, we should <laughs> probably pick up the phone. Well, see, for, for me, it's it's by any means necessary. It's like I'm I'm agnostic to the channel. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter at all. Like um, you know, the last full-time role that I was in, I, I got a list of 10 accounts. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it was like the 10 biggest accounts in the world that we didn't have any business in. Mm -hmm. And um you know, I was selling to a very niche audience. It's it's not like um, you know, it wasn't sales leaders. It was it was fraud and risk management, which like they obfuscate their titles. You couldn't tell who did what. Like it yeah. it was impossible to tell. And I, I didn't always have the number. So there was like a sort of a limited audience. And if I couldn't get the phone number, like I didn't have a choice. I couldn't go and get a new account. Like I had to I had to figure it out. So I had yeah. to use social. I had to use email. So I mean, to me, it's like. Yeah. I, well, what do you have? You know, um, can you get the phone number? I had three different data sources. I was cross-referencing Zoom Info, Lead IQ, and Sales Intel on every prospect. Like just yeah. looking, you know, like what what do I have? And and trying to maximize it. Um, so yeah, that that's how I, I. I mean, when I talk about outbound, like cold outbound, it's like yeah, it's it, whatever you got. Throw yeah. throw everything you have at them. Yeah, and I think. That's certainly what you know. I'm now seeing more, more and more of. It's just you know, so there's tribalism happening on on social. We seem to be we 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 went away from it, and now we seem to be coming back to it because of the pandemic. Oh, this only works. That only works. This only works. What I'm starting to hear, kind of more, hear more and more of. It's 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 the, the data aspect has got to be right, but it also. You know, things like I swear to God that people create research for the sake of research. So if you, you know, McKinsey on the US side of things analyze 60,000 deals and 80% of them are started via cold call. Yet you look at Gartner research saying one in three people don't want to talk to salespeople. So Patrick was interesting picking up on your point around being the, you know, that the, 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 you can't go to an Apple store to pick up an outreach. You can't go to a retail out, you know, out, what have you to, um, to buy this, this product. So if, if we then start to look at, where is this is this going and we we accept that all all channels are the right channel be where your audience is or rather go where your audience is going to going to be what what do we believe the role of sales is going to be and justin i was halfway through your moneyballing um uh, piece with uh, mark Roberge and the way that he was talking about go to market because it's not sales it's not marketing it's actually your overall go to market strategy which is going to start to shift the dynamic in terms of the types of people that that you are going to have to hire in order to to achieve this. So, you know, Patrick, I know that Justin obviously 
you know, laws you for your your writing skills, even though you started out as as a math teacher. So, are we going to need people that are good at good at writing? Are we going to need people that are good at math and have that statistical kind of lens on thing? Need people that are good on the good on the phone rather than trying to get one size fits all, point them and go. Either I think that you're you're always going to need people. Um, <clears throat> you're you're just always going to need people because. Like, I don't know, there's when you start talking about go to market, it, it, what it reminds me of is that um, how how quickly things can come off the rails when the go to market strategy changes. Like, how tight is that organization? Like, uh, are they moving like a glove versus five fingers? Right. Like, is the, the sales ops, uh, the marketing team, the sales team, like, is everybody moving in the same direction at the same time? And the answer almost always is no. I've, I've never really seen it in, unless it's the same person that's doing yeah. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, once you kind of, you know, like once you have four or five people working on a project, it's very, very, very difficult to get everyone coordinated all the time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that there's always going to be some level of imperfection there. And then it, you're going to need somebody that, that can think about it. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, is the right, like, I, I think that there's a way, um, but here's a good example in, in education, right? Um, how long has geometry been out, right? Like we're talking, uh, you know, uh, two, what, 2000 BC, uh, the, yep. the first geometry text, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. When I was a teacher, I was creating geometry curriculum from scratch. How is that the case? It's, it's the year <laughs> 2015. Like, why am I coming up with, like, how do I teach the geometry My class? Like, how is this, how, how is this not like, you know, like etched into a stone tablet somewhere? Like what? <laughs> Like, why am I creating lesson plans? So if we can't even do it in, in 4,000 years of geometry, like, uh, I don't know, the 20-year-old the, the SaaS industry um, seems doomed. So, so here's the trippy thing. Let's get right out in the open. So I took Algebra 2. I crushed it. I got to, to 3-4 trig, and I'm like, cosines? Like, it's like, well, if you want to understand the angle of a flower pot in a window, I was like, it didn't make any sense how I'm going to use this, you know? I met Patrick. It was like, okay, he's like, I'm an SDR. I'm like, yeah, but what do you really do? He's like, pass the actuary. He's a mathematician, Boston University. It's kind of a goodwill hunting story. So, I mean, I, I won't disclose his former salary, but now he, he's making, you know, serious money, right? We're, yeah. we're talking, you know, sub, you know, six figures, like, you know, 200 grand type um, uh, potential here. And he's out earning any SDR. He's, he's earning what a lot of, you know, seasoned executive earns. Why? Because we approach human beings the wrong way. It's pretty, okay, this, this person went to Stanford for four years. That means their family put, you know, $250,000 in their life savings in the education, but took applied statistics. Oh, really? Now what do they do? Well, now they're trying to do $3 an hour data entry work to see if they could qualify to be an account executive. Yeah. Take the, the unique genius of the human and groom them, teach them how to do engineering and coding and data and rotationally teach them marketing, teach them sales, teach them ops, like, you know, what is their unique genius and move them around your organizational chart. Don't hold them in a silo of income potential in a silo of what they can do and create an advancement track. That's actually a prison. Here's how we're going to limit you smart human being to 70%. We could automate with a machine. Like this is the, we, we wrote a manifesto called Illuminati and it's not the jungle. We're not like in the meat packing industry and there's not inhumane conditions, but this thing is inhumane. We're taking human beings and software as a service and we're limiting them and we're taking hugely qualified, strongest AI in the world and saying, build CSV files in Excel. It makes my head explode. Uh, I don't know if we want to. I think it, it, re- it genuinely does go all the way back to the go-to-market strategy falling apart because 
um, I don't know, the CRO types get together with the finance types and they decide that they need to hit a certain number and that the salespeople are unreliable and that the data is not there. So they're going to double all the quotas and, and just see how it pans out. And half of them will burn out and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll put them on PIP, we'll manage them out. And then, you know, the other half are, are have contacts and, and, and they'll pull the business and then, and then we'll hit the number, right? Like that's, that's, it's just a common play. Like I've, um, <laughs> I, I wish I could say I was making it up. Like I, I've seen. I know you're not. I know, I know you're not. And the, you know, the whole the whole quota thing, I think, is an interesting one. I'm starting. You know, Forrester are now starting to talk about this. Seth Mars is starting to talk about this in terms of comp and comp plan. I've been, I've been, in a, you know, in a carrying a bag, doing the dials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the comp plan forces created a certain behaviour, which I adhered to because that was the behaviour which then made made uh, made sure the comp plan was was met. Did it actually necessarily mean it was the best of the end, the best of the customer, or if we did things differently, we could have done, we could have done better, probably. But it comes back to, I guess, that's the way we've all always done it. And you both talk about the fact that we now have automation, we're churning all the numbers out, and it's not kind of hitting because uh, you know the, the data's slightly wrong, the way the email's written is wrong, the reps aren't understanding how to look at the data and so on because they're in this box and do not deviate. So, yep. is this? This is a leading question. Is this because we have this layer of management which is stuck in the in, in the dark ages? Patrick, to your point, four thousand years of geometry, and they still we still can't get it get it right. <laughs> so, do, do do we? Let's rephrase the question. If you both could build a SaaS company from the ground up, how what would the construct of your sales organization look like? Uh, I've I've got this one because I've thought a lot about it. I think there would be a revenue team. Mm-hmm. And they all have the same success criteria. So that's yeah. sales, that's marketing, and that's ops, like the revenue ops. Um, you know, people like to call it revenue ops. They they hire a chief revenue officer and they like change the reporting structure. But then you walk into the company and everything is the same. Like the, yeah. the sales rep sitting there, he has no idea what the ops analyst is doing. Actually, the ops analyst, there's only three of them. And there's 150 people that they're trying to take care of at the same time. Like the, the budget hasn't been allocated correctly. Like. Uh, it, it, it's a hot mess. So I would seriously just put all those people into one department and then they yeah. get all get bonused on the same incentive. Like they're incentivized on the same metrics. Mm-hmm. Like this is the goal that you are to accomplish. Figure it out. Like the, all of you have to work together. You can't do it alone. There's no, there's no one man army. Um, so it, that's, that's the first thing that I would do. I like that. I really like that because you know, it's, you know, to your point in terms of Patrick, when you were talking about that, those are your defined accounts. You couldn't go anywhere else. You had to figure out a way to get into those to the, into those accounts. So then, what I'm hearing, and Justin chime in, this is bringing in those different skill sets. Someone who's good at writing, someone who's an analyst, someone who's good on the uh, you know good on the on the phone. Almost kind of forget job titles, if you will. These skill sets, we believe, can come together to create the the best outcome, which is trying to generate revenue. It's making an assumption here that you've got some good system, some good systems in place. To, to enable this be and as in systems, I mean, actually technology like an outreach at Kong or, or what have you, go figure it out, come back in 12 months time and tell us you've hit, tell us you've hit your number, whether you hit that number in month 11 or month one, we don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the hard part is that um, I think that the SaaS industry is just really young. Uh, yep. 20 years is not a long time. Um, you know, even a company like Microsoft is like, has like double the amount of time on the market. Um, so I think we take some of these scaled up concepts and then try to bring them down to like, you know, a hundred person startup and, 
it just doesn't work the same. Like when you only have a limited amount of talent and there's only so many people in the building, um, everybody kind of has to wear multiple hats. Yeah. And, and then we try to have these really rigid role definitions. And, and I think that's where we get stuck. Like that's where things fall apart. Um, when people are limited, like th there's no reason to be so limiting about the way that you're hiring. Like, uh, uh, this individualized role specialization, like it makes sense at 10,000 employees, um, because you have a very specific role that you need filled and the individual does, does not have as much impact, but, um, I don't know. And there's uh, like less than 500 employees, mm -hmm. um, each person in the building, uh, carries a different weight than when you have, you know, yep. uh, when, when you're Amazon, you know, it's, it just, it's a totally different feeling. But that's that's going to start to shift also kind of things like uh, and again the 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 bigger challenges I guess the you know, small smaller companies but even if the smaller companies have got investment then they've got to start reporting to shareholders and shareholders want their quarterly kind of updates in terms of well, hang on a second we put X amount of cash into this business where are you um, I want to get my my reports and you know that it's 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 this tension in terms of you know commercialization versus actually looking after human beings that are trying to trying to get there and i don't you know i don't have the answer i don't know i don't know what the answer is but what it's interesting to start to see this conversation now starts coming out around comp and i think it'll be a brave organization that rips up the rips up the rule book and starts to look at look at things differently but guess what you know you'll get happier happier employees so let's not give them a job title more fulfilled employees stay longer give you better results because they're happier in terms of what they're doing less pressure and less uh, less uh, less stress so um i mean are you are you talking to any kind of forward thinking companies that are starting to think this or are they still stuck in there this is the process this is what we've got and this is this is how we're going to do it most of them have seen or dealt with or are relatively like boilerplate kind of templates um, yeah. for the organizational structure. I haven't seen anything too radical. I have heard about some flat orgs though, um, yeah. where, you know, instead of even having like a seniority, it's like a totally flat org. There, yeah. There's no um, org chart and, and everybody makes a hundred K a year. And then, you know, whatever extra, like there's like a quarterly bonus that gets paid out on revenue and everybody gets the same bonus, like the CEO yeah. all the way down to the, yeah, you know, whoever's, yeah washing the floors or whatever no i think i can totally see i can see that that model model working in terms of the we always need people yet you look at the you know the, the world of guided selling that narrative that's now starting to come out ai kind of starting to rear its head rear its head again um where from what you're seeing and what you're understanding from the technology piece and i'm thinking like um was it gong that's now building sentiment analysis into into emails and all this this kind this, this kind of stuff and you know the the crazy world of where this is all going where what how automated do we have to get before we realize it's too automated <laughs> um it depends what you're automating let's I do think. so i'm so i'm thinking in terms of in terms of from a, from a seller automating things like outreach so be it emails marketing campaigns whatever it might be um you know, you can't term, you can't really automate outreach in terms. Of, I know you got the robo dollars and stuff, etc. But that's going to get more and more kind of uh, restricted. But the automation in terms of outreach around email connections through LinkedIn and, and so on. How far do you think we're going to go before there's a pushback either from the, the buyers going, "I'm just fed up and pissed. This is just just not working for me um, anymore," or to the point where actually buyers realise they do actually need somebody in the process to have a human conversation with. I think we're there. I mean, okay. I, I honestly, I, I think we're there now. I, 
I see it. Um, I, I don't know if it, it completely, if, if there's been, um, you know, a shift in the herd mentality just yep. yet. Uh, but I think that we're there with the automation. Like people have this idea that if I, if I buy a sales engagement platform um, and, I, and I go online and I grab some email templates uh, and I put a call step in there and then I hire 10 sales reps uh, that are entry level that have never sold anything before. They've never even picked up the phone to order a pizza. But if I put them in front of outreach and then have them click these buttons, like we're going to get revenue. And it, I, it like it, it train wrecks every time. Like yeah. <laughs> I've never seen that work out well. Like when, when somebody like really thinks about it and they, and they plan and they, you know, they understand their ICP, like they have their value props down, like they've established some product market fit. Like then you can start to, uh, you know, itemize the roles on the sales team. Uh, but until then it's like, it's a knife fight, you know, and, and you're going to spend a lot of money um, making those kinds of mistakes. I mean, you know, you, you look at the base salary times 10 plus the tech stack on each one. I, I, you could spend a million dollars really quickly uh, and not get anything out of it. Uh, and that's, you know, that's when uh, the sales director gets fired, usually. Yeah, no, in, indeed. I mean, that's that's some scary thoughts when you start to talk about that, those sort of numbers at the small level, let alone what's happening at the the, the large level. Yeah, we're seeing you know, some of the valuations that happened during a global pandemic for some of these organizations is you know north of a billion dollars. So the market still thinks that there's 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 stuff here. Justin, I know you have a you have a take on that. Yeah, so it blew my mind. I was meeting with these venture capitalists, these seed and equity funds, and I rolled in so many circles as I know you do. I was in northern Idaho. And it came to my attention that in 2019, 40% of the funding rounds are over 100 million. Now back in the day, like in the late 2000s, even the early aughts, you know, 10 million was a good round. Mm -hmm. The IPO market is gone. It's secondary markets. Nobody wants to be, you know, uh, maybe like going through what WeWork or Uber went through, however you perceive it. It's tough to become a publicly traded company. And um, sometimes the secret sauce gets spilled. Sometimes... You know, you, you have to, you know, it's like how Elon Musk doesn't file patents because he doesn't want to be copied, right? So the issue now is you have all these small companies getting crazy valuations mm -hmm. and, and a lot of great companies getting valuations. And, you know, like today, uh, a, a great company, what was it? Dooley. Dooley, yeah. She got 20 million, right? That kind of money, 20 million for a startup was a big deal 10 years yeah. ago and hard. And maybe Andreessen would do it. So Mark Andreessen in 1999 said software will eat the world. What happens? You've got shipping SaaS and trucking SaaS and landscaping SaaS and, you know, hardware SaaS and everything is a software as a service. Then what happens? Then they all have to raise $100 million. Yeah. Then what happens? They all need humans to power the sequencers yeah. and to make the cold calls. And so what do you have to do? You have unskilled workers. You know, you have all these folks that left the restaurant business. They left airlines, hospitality, and they have to learn how to be a sales development rep. Mm -hmm. So you get this like insane wall of noise, you know? Um, yeah. One, I mean, as you were talking through that, it, it sort of made me think that there's um, like a really obvious discrepancy that I think uh, almost everyone overlooks is is the fact that, um, you know, you if you're a founder of a startup and you can convince a VC uh, that you've got something that people want to buy, um, you, you're off and running. They've given you the money. Mm -hmm. And now you have to give it back to them at a, at a certain rate. I mean, it's like you've started this game 
um, that you're not really sure you can win yet. <laughs> you know, like, like you, you managed to, to get the guy to bankroll you, but they're, they're over there. They're not even really looking at what's happening. They saw your slide deck, um, you know, and they, they back channel and yeah, they yeah. do their research and they figure it out and they say, is there actually tech there or whatever? But the VCs ultimately, they're very detached from the market. Like they don't, they don't really know like who's going to buy what. And because you see investments all the time that don't make any sense. Um, so I, I think, you know, right there, like right at that point, there's like, we're going to give you money to go and sell this thing and then use that money to figure out whether or not you can sell it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just, it just seems like there's like, there's something has gone awry. You know, this, this, can't, this surely can't be the best way to do things. <laughs> I guess it creates the kind of the ever perpetuating circle because, um, the more press and the more PR that this gets talked about, it creates back to the news. Something I think Patrick, I think you talked about the herd mentality. It's like it's almost the FOMO. It's like, oh my goodness, we've got to, we, we've got to give this this next piece of tech on on top of this next piece of, you know, this next piece of tech. And you know, my other pod, a recent podcast talking to Seth Mars at Forest about this. He's you know, he says there's kind of a war at the moment in terms of which piece of tech is fighting to get the to be the front, to be the kind of the in front of this the seller. And making sure that theirs is in front of every, you know, everything else. And is there going to be the tech on top of the tech on top of the tech? And I guess this is where maybe the Microsofts and the Salesforce are going to come in and start consulting. Or maybe even Google, who knows? Or even Amazon. I mean, Christ, Amazon's just opened up its first uh, cashless uh, store in uh, in London following what's happening in uh, in the US. Yeah. So first store, Amazon store in London, uh, fresh uh, real foods with no, nobody there. But, you know, maybe we're going to see the consolidation of this market. I know, you, Justin, you've talked about it, that the future of sales will eventually come from a tech perspective, will come full circle. It will just be Microsoft and Salesforce and possibly a Google. Who knows? Well, the, I think part of the problem is that um, the companies that are building the technology for the reps are guessing at what the reps need. Like, okay. like they're not actually sure. They're, they're actually trying to retrofit the sales process to the technology in, in a lot of cases. Um, I, you know, I, I think Gong's really sharp. I think that what they're doing isn't really going to go away. I don't, I, I, you know, even just, you know, conversational intelligence, like yeah. record all the calls and like run AI on it. Like even if you just call it a, just collect the data, just get it in there and, and start thinking about it, start looking at it. I think, I think that's probably smart. Um, I, I do see a disruption tool coming. Um, I've been talking to Justin. I've been talking to anybody that would listen to me about this idea for a tool that I have. And, and it's, uh, it's really just like a stripped down prospecting tool. There's, there's too much, uh, context switching. You know, if I could connect it to a data source, um, have it fill in the data for me, uh, give me a panel to send emails that I never really have to switch off of the same screen. Mm -hmm. Um, and then actually like break it down into the parts, the, the efficient parts of, uh, what I do yeah. That, that the people that are, um, you know, coding the software that are up in, I, I think about them almost like up in the ivory tower uh, mm -hmm. at these, at these sales engagement, you know, these billion, billion dollar companies, like they, they don't really have a good um, vantage point for what it's like for the individual rep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the stuff that they're building is like, um, is nice. It sells, you could sell it to the marketing team. You could sell it to the, to the sales leaders. Um, and, and give them this story that, you know, this feature mm -hmm. is going to, you know, put this result in place. And I, I don't know that it's always true. Um, I, so I, I think that it's, something is going to disrupt that at, at some point.
I think you raise an interesting point there because if I live, if I think about all the CRM CRM implementations that I've been um, on the receiving end of, that's been led by somebody who doesn't actually understand the end person's job. So you have all these buttons and widgets and go, well, that that doesn't help me do my job more efficiently. That actually yeah. makes my job way more freaking complicated. Why did you not consult me before this was given to me? Because actually there's a heap of shit, so I'm not going to use it. I'm yeah. go, go back to my spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly right. I mean, that's look, I, I didn't figure it out until um, I actually stripped the entire tech stack away and started like running campaigns with out of a Gmail account with a with a Google Sheet. Mm -hmm. um, just to, to manually track my activity. And I mean, I was like, uh, I had uh, templates that were saved in notepad and I was like copy pasting them into the Gmail panel. And then I was like using, uh, you know, the spreadsheet to keep track of where I was. And then I realized like, oh my God, I have so much more flexibility. It was like, uh, like a light bulb went off. Like I'm yeah. not now I'm not beholden to that, to that sequence that's there because each prospect is a slight, even each contact that at each account is a slightly different case. Like, yeah. um, you, you know, like sometimes I have the number, sometimes I don't like, why is there a call step there every time? Anyway, like, yeah. I, I mean, there's just so many things like that. that once I deconstructed it, I realized like a lot of the stuff that's in there that you spent all this money on that you had to, you know, hire two different people to get it integrated and to monitor the, you know, whatever, set up the dashboards and all, all this. Um, it, there's there's not a lot there that that actually ends up getting used. And, and I don't know that. So it was like this aha moment that I had that you don't uh, you don't need every every. It's like it's like the, the software was made for the seller. The seller was not made for the software. Yeah. Um, but but when you're a rep that walks into a company like you just got started, you're 22 years old and you just started your first job. And in, in, in during covid, uh, you walk in and you get an outreach panel. And and to you, like that is sales, like you follow this process and that's how you do sales. But in reality, it's it's you know, you have to connect um, somebody that with, with uh, a pain that they're trying to solve with someone that can solve it. I think you've raised a really interesting point there, Patrick, in terms of um, each case or kind of each each pros each each prospect is subtly different, and I think that's again where kind of people have you know is um, was it Fallon Fatami? Certainly, I believe she she said sales is it's, the science is only as good as the art of the the art of the um, uh, of sales, and I guess that's the one size does one size doesn't fit all, and also. You know, hearing you talk as I sort of think as I'm thinking this through in my uh, my mediocre brain, we've over we've over engineered a relatively straightforward process in terms of in terms of what's now what's now happening. If you think about what sales is, it's just starting conversations with people. How do you start yes. a conversation with people? We'll find the best way to start a conversation with that person, then just talk to them. And we I think you know we've we've become you know, the Uberization of the world or the Amazon Amazon Amazonification of the world. Sometimes that we think that the app or the technology is actually the best solution to all this. Well actually with human beings, it probably isn't. It's just actually being human and just talk to a person as you would just a person like your grandmother, your father, your relative, lover or or um or what have you. So yeah, I think the future is the future of sales is maybe do you unengineer things? What's the what, how do you unengineer things? I don't, I don't, I deconstruct. I don't know. Maybe the future sales is deconstructing, deconstructing sales back to um, what it was four thousand years ago when Pythagoras was figuring out the uh, the, the theory of the hypotenuse and all that kind of stuff. Um, my, my theory <laughs> is 
as long as 70 to 80% of all of it is automatable, we have to take the human off all the automated parts. So what's really like you talk to Kai Fuli or some of these futurists, like the, um, the ability to dream, imagine, synthesize some of the processes that a human brain does are so sophisticated. It'll be hundreds of years. There's elements that are irreplaceable. The human needs to fit into the revenue value chain in places where it's most highly leveraged. Otherwise, we're, we really have we really have an industrial uh, de-evolution where we're being limited by technology, where we're basically, it's like the matrix. We're just sitting in pods yeah. to harvest energy. We have to be leveraged in the high quadrant of strategic selling uh, strategy, not a point solution, a complex solution, you know, complex needs analysis, multi-threading, consensus building, like a gestalt, like whiteboarding, like things that are, that are uh, simplifying the complexity where our brain can uniquely work with eight or 10 other brains to bring forward, you know, conductors of the symphony. And then the AI and the ML and all that has to be deployed to take that manual effort off of us. That is a return to innocence because then we're now selling again. The really big thing you'll see, like with my mentor's work, Tony, is the silent sales floor. Sales has really become marketing analysis. Everyone's just sitting on social media, clicking. People are researching all day for their emails. Not only are we not talking to prospects, we're not even calling the prospects, and we're sending all day passively researching people we're not even reaching out to. What are you? You're an analyst. Yeah. You're a marketing analyst. So sales used to be a yeah. verb. And to do that, it's people with people. And this Zoom call right now is sales because mm -hmm. people are talking and we didn't come up with a script. You know, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to talk about Pythagoras. I remember trying to get oh, I? <laughs> figure out how, like a triangle. You know, I remember like using string on a grass <laughs> lawn and trying to figure this stuff out. Like that's what I was doing when I was 14 years old. So um, look, we got to free up the human. Otherwise, we're going to have a fourth industrial revolution where AI didn't take our jobs. It's basically just um, we're wasting human ability. Yeah, wow. yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, I, I think, I think the entire, to me, the future of sales, the future of really any, um, any industry where where you're trying to have some type of an advancement is, is in uh, the elegance of simplicity. Um, uh, you know, can can you do the same thing? Uh, with a less complicated system, uh, like if you, whenever you can accomplish that, um, that is, you know, I, I think is is one of the the things that we we look at in in human history and say that that was an advancement. The elegance of simplicity, and I think with that that is a perfect way to uh, end this this pod. This pod. <laughs> I this have to actually take that because that's actually Leonardo da Vinci. Is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication? You know, the problem in this generation in general is that there's nothing new. Everybody has to crack open the history books and dis and discover that everything going on right now was happening a hundred years ago, nearly identically. Todd Capone's doing that. He's pulling out all these articles, 1912, and he shows a sales article, and it sounds exactly like today. It's it's mystifying. <laughs> Both of you, this has been an absolute uh, pleasure as it always is. I always enjoy um, looking at the chaos in the WhatsApp group of the uh, of the Borgs and where we go on that. I said, you know, Pythagoras' theorem, we'll be putting that there in a minute. Um, where can where can my audience uh, find you both? I guess uh, on, on LinkedIn, on, on Twitter, kind of in, in the ether. Yeah, LinkedIn's good. My cell number's on there if anybody wants to text me. Um, that's cool. totally cool. 
Um, memorize the word Salesborg, seller and cyborg. Uh, that word might be new to you now, but in 2022, when this book comes out, it's going to be a destination and brand. Seller and cyborg, salesborgs.ai is going to be a destination hub. Uh, we're doing the world's first ever TQ test. We're going to have some certifications and really it's the outcome. The, the goal is we want to create Salesborgs in our knowledge factory. Awesome. I'll put links to all the profiles in the, um, uh, in the, wherever I put this in the podcast or the YouTube thing. For those that are watching on now, I can never do the pointing thing correctly. Um, Patrick, Justin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, um, as always, thank you very much. If you want to be on the podcast, you know what to do. Everyone watching, same rules apply. But um, wherever you are in the world, stay safe, keep safe, and we'll see you on the, uh, on the flip side.